Well, amen. What a joy and honor it is to be with you today. Um, I was so grateful for this privilege when Usher Jordan contacted me and asked me to come and preach and be a part of this series. I know you had, many of you had a great time down in Mississippi, and I'm sure you're not complaining about the air conditioning today, but, uh, but I'm, I'm so glad for this opportunity. Let me just take a brief moment and say how much I appreciate Grace Church, how much we appreciate Grace Church. What a blessing you are. I thought about, uh, I thought about 1 Thessalonians, what Paul wrote to that church. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. I appreciate your testimony for the word and uh, your continue, uh, continual encouragement. Your pastors are my friends. And uh, I listen to your podcast, especially when I'm preaching from one of those texts. And uh, to be encouraged after I have already done some study. Uh, but um, uh, you're a blessing. And I appreciate you praying for us. And I appreciate your fellowship and your encouragement. I do invite you today to Revelation 21. Revelation 21, my uh, privileged assigned text. I'll be, I'm going to be reading this morning. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. I didn't ask you, Pastor Jordan, if that was okay. But I'll use the ESV this morning. Not too different if you use the NAS um, But I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 as we look together at this text. Your theme this week has been Eyes on Jesus, Embracing Our Eternal Hope. And today we'll consider the new heaven and the new earth. Revelation 21, near the end of this uh, wonderful book in the Word of God, letter in the Word of God. Um, In fact, I attended the pastor's intensive back in... Uh, well, several years ago, and we received some resources from your church, and one that I received was the Teleos uh, study uh, of Revelation, and I went through that uh, because I needed it, not knowing that one day I'd have the opportunity to come preach, and I look back at those uh, at that resource again uh, this week. Well, Revelation 21, beginning with verse 1, reading through verse 9. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels 
who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's join our hearts together once again in prayer. Father, we're so grateful for this opportunity to worship today with Grace Church. We thank you so much for the word of God that has already been read over us, that we've read together. We thank you for the power of the Word of God. We thank you that the Word of God uh, is, is, has, is inspired of you, that it's God-breathed. We thank you so much for giving it to us, Lord, and for this wonderful passage of Scripture that points us to what's ahead for us as your children. We thank you, Lord, that your Word tells us that we're already seated with you in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We thank you that our place is secure as believers in Christ. But, Father, we thank you for giving us this glimpse of glory, for giving us this wonderful hope to encourage us and to bless us because your word tells us how important it is that we have this hope, this confident expectation in the Lord Jesus Christ for what, Lord Jesus, you have promised to prepare and are preparing for us as your children. So, Lord, I pray today as we think about our eyes being upon Jesus, as we think about our hope that is in Christ, I pray you will quicken your word, that you you will enable us, that you will speak to us today, Lord Jesus, that you will preach to us through the word of God, and that Christ will be exalted. And, Lord, we would once again pray for any in our midst who have not responded, even as described in this passage today, that by the work of your Spirit you would quicken them and bring them to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. We pray today, Father, your, your church will be edified and encouraged and that we will keep our eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ, looking for that blessed hope, the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Be glorified now in this time we have together. We ask it believing in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. When I was a teenager, our uh, youth pastor Uh, made a statement to us maybe more than once um, and uh, I'm sure he probably picked it up from his pastor somewhere along the way uh, like we sometimes do and we have these little sayings that we have and they're popular and they go around for a while and they sound good and this was the statement that he made to us he said some people are so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good well, you know, that, that, you know, I sort of went along with that for a while. And then some years later, the more I, I studied Scripture, I, I came to realize there was just one thing wrong with that statement. It's not biblical. Because the Bible teaches us that our problem is not that we're too heavenly minded. Our problem is that we are too earthly minded. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. See, as Lewis said, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get nothing. Our church right now is going through, uh, we're preaching through on Sunday mornings, uh, uh, Genesis, through, through Genesis. And it begins, of course, with the account of God's creation uh, at the, he- at the, the heavens and the earth. And, and you know that God placed the crown of his creation, Adam and Eve, man and woman, in, in the garden. And, and uh, they enjoyed fellowship with God. They walked with him daily in the cool of the day. But then the Bible tells us that, that one day Eve was tempted by the serpent. Ultimately, they, they ate that fruit that God had forbidden of them. And we know that sin entered into the world. And as a result of that sin, 
man was separated from God, the curse came upon them and upon all the earth. All of, of earth was really cursed as a result of what had, had taken place in that garden. God sent, God promised from the very early part of Scripture there in Genesis 3 that, that he would send the seed of the woman who would come and who would crush the head of the serpent. And of course, we know in time, that's exactly what happened when Jesus came. He went to the cross, fully God, fully man. The Bible says he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He was buried. He rose again. He's alive today, seated to the right hand of the Father. And he crushed the serpent's head. And he promised us that he was going to come again. And that he was going to uh, create a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21 gives the details of a fulfillment of this promise to us as his people, as his church. Revelation was first written to the seven churches of the first century there in Asia. And they were representative of all the, of, representative of all the churches and even of, of all the churches then and, and now. Uh, these churches, of course, were threatened by persecution, by false teaching, uh, by compromise, by immorality and idolatry, just as our churches are today. The Lord has uh, revealed, the Lord revealed to them in Revelation and to us what's, what's coming. And, and he doesn't promise to them. As you, if you study the book of Revelation, by the way, you open Revelation and the Bible tells us there's a great blessing and promise for reading aloud the, the book of Revelation. Have you done that lately? I, but in preparation for this, this message, I, I, I took my quiet time one morning and I read through the book of Revelation aloud. And, uh, and what a blessing. But God doesn't, doesn't hide them from what's coming. Some tough things were coming. Tough things were happening and tough things were coming. God didn't hide them from that. He didn't tell them it was going to be okay. He didn't tell them there was not going to be any problems. He didn't tell them that their best life was going to be now. He, he warned them of what was coming. But at the same time, he tells them how they can suffer with hope. He tells us how we can suffer with hope because he tells us about the glorious future of a new heaven and a new earth. So I want us to look at this passage together today and consider four truths that I believe we find here related to this new heaven and new earth. Notice in verses 1 and 2, and I'll also look down at verse uh, 9 and, and just mention some things following there, that God reveals the new heaven and the new earth. In verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first Heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So God gave John this, this vision of this new heaven and new earth. The word new here means new in, in quality. It means uh, fresh rather than recent or new in time. G.K. Beale compares this new heaven and new earth with a the, with the new body that the Bible says we're going to receive. When, we, when, we, uh, when Jesus comes again, we're going to get a brand new body. A glorified body. It's going to be like Jesus' body, the Bible says, in the sense that it's, it, it's recognizable. The disciples knew who he was, didn't they? Um, and, uh, and, and so we're going to be recognizable. The new heaven and the new earth will be certainly recognizable. It will be transformed, but it will retain its identity. The first heaven, he said, and the first earth had passed away. 
He describes the passing away of the heavens and the earth in 2 Peter 2, uh, 3 rather, 10 to 13. We just uh, studied in Revelation. God gave that promise. I saw a rainbow uh, yesterday or day before out in front of Walmart. So I was going in. People were all amazed. They were taking pictures of it. And uh, I just said, that's God's promise. As I walked into the store, God's promise to us, it will not destroy the earth again through a flood, but he's going to destroy ultimately the, the earth uh, by fire. And he, so he's describing here, as Grant Osborne says, there will be a whole new reality, a new kind of existence in which all the negatives of the first world will be removed and all the discoloration by sin will be gone. He says here in verse uh, 1b that the sea and the sea was no more. Some believe that uh, there will be bodies of water in this second new, this new heaven and new earth, just as there are uh, in this creation, the first creation, but that he's describing here actually as ESV study notes say that the seas refer to the source of earthly rebellion, chaos, and danger, that that is what will be abolished. He goes on in verse 2 and, and says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Jesus told the church there at Philadelphia, he used similar languages. He talked to them about overcoming in, in Revelation uh, 3 and uh, verse 12. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven and my own new name. She's described in this city in, in chapter 2, verse 9, and all the way through 22.5. He gives a full description uh, about the, this new Jerusalem, this new heaven. And uh, he says she's adorned for her husband, the bride of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus. Danny Aiken says that, th that she is both a place and a people. As you read that description beginning there in verse 9 and all the way 20 through 22.5, he says a number of wonderful things about this, this city. Again, it, 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 the, the night will be replaced by light. Purity uh, will replace corruption. He describes the glory and the brilliance of heaven and he uses all these beautiful uh, jewels to describe how beautiful it's going to be, how glorious it's going to be. Quite frankly, that's usually what most folks like to focus on. So many of the Southern Gospel songs are about that, right? You know, all the glories of heaven, and that's wonderful. Uh, someone says, well, is it literal? Is it really going to be that way? Well, I think one of my professors, I think it was Dr. Beeman, said that if it isn't literal then what is there in reality is going to be greater than we can imagine. He's using the best language in the English language under the inspiration the Holy Spirit can use to describe how glorious it's going to be. And if, that's, if it's not that literal way, it's even greater than that. But God, he's giving us a glimpse of the glory of how beautiful and awesome it's going to be. He describes it as a, a perfect cube. Uh, you know, one of the things we know about that is that was also true as you see the description of the temple, the most holy place, a perfect cube. That most holy place is now where we are allowed to enter in. We're now able to do that. Uh, even as believers, we're, we are able to enter in before the throne. Amen. But we are literally going to be 
in the presence of God in this most holy place for all eternity. He says in chapter 21, 22, that there is no temple. Why? Because the, the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. He is the temple. That was the purpose of the, of the Garden of Eden. It was a temple. It was a place. It was a pl- place where God's people could fellowship with Him. And then after man fell and God still desiring fellowship and relationship with his people did so through the tabernacle to picture that and describe that and show that. And then again through the temple. And now ultimately as we see the Lord Jesus, the Father, Father God is the, is the temple and we will worship God. Scripture tells us here that we will see his face. We will be, as the old hymn says, face to face with Christ, with our Lord, with God, the God the Father. And the Bible says we will reign with Him forever and ever. And that's just a glimpse of this new heaven and this new earth. Notice there's a, another metaphor that he brings in as, the, as he's describing this place, this people, uh, describing the new heaven and the new earth. And, and it's the wedding. It's the wedding of the Lamb. We talk... Jordan mentioned uh, er, earlier this day, this time in the future at the marriage supper of the Lamb when we're going to sit down with the Lord Jesus and He will serve us and we will be there. And that's what chapter 19 describes, the invitation that is taken. And then we get to chapter 21 here. We're in the wedding. The wedding, the, 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 the wedding has occurred. That, the wedding of the Lamb and His bride, the church. Oh, I, I don't know about you, but I remember our, our wedding day. Uh, I, ho- I hope you do. Uh, July 14th, 1979, only, only about 10 days from now, we're celebrating our 43rd anniversary. I remember standing at the front there of our uh, church building and uh, with my dad, my best man, the wedding party was there. I was looking at the back door and then there stood my bride at the door. Wow, she was beautiful. And I remember the, the glow about that day. I, I said, you've got to have that time in your wedding. Even if there's just a few people there, you've got to have the bride come down the aisle. You've got to be able to see uh, and experience that. What a, a, a glorious time. And, and, and as, we, as, as she glowed that day, she was adorned for her husband, me. And in our weddings, it's, it's all eyes on the bride, right? But in this final day, in this wedding, it's going to be all eyes on the Lamb, All eyes on the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. But second in verses 3 and 4, I want you to see God's eternal presence and peace is promised. In verse 20, excuse me, verse 3, he says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. John hears a loud voice. Uh, He doesn't identify the voice. It's loud, though, because it's an important announcement that he's making here. He begins with, behold, look, it's from the throne that is coming forth. And in this new heaven and new earth that he's announcing that from now on the dwelling place of God is with man. This dwelling word dwelling place, also translated tent or tabernacle, it's often used of the body. And in that sense, it's normally talking about a temporary 
dwelling place. That's what this body is right here. It's just a temporary dwelling place, tent or tabernacle. But in this time, in this new heaven and new earth, it's a permanent dwelling place. A permanent dwelling place. And, un- and again, he says, they will be his people. Interestingly, as you prayed for the nations this morning, this, this word is really plural in the original language. It's peoples. He will be with his peoples. His, they, will, they will be his peoples. All tribes, languages, and nations of the world will make up his peoples. God himself will be with them as their God. He won't send an angel. It will be eternally and continuously obvious that we are in the presence of God. Notice again verse 4. It says, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. What a beautiful promise of God's peace that he personally will wipe away every tear from our eyes. These saints have suffered great persecution during this time, great suffering, great pain upon them, many of them having lost loved ones as a result of this persecution uh, in all kinds of ways. And notice what he says he's going to banish. He's going to banish death and mourning and crying and pain. Everything that causes tears, God is going to banish. The former things, he said, have passed away. That's hard for us to imagine, isn't it? It's unimaginable for us because of life here and how difficult it is and how painful it is. And, and, and we know so little of what many of our brothers and sisters around the world know. The pain of our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, we, can't, we can hardly imagine. But just think about, in our own life, the pain that we have experienced. And so God is promising that these things are going to pass away. All the things that cause tears. The pain of the death of a loved one, gone. The pain of a miscarriage, gone. The pain of divorce, gone. The pain of abuse, gone. The pain of regret over our own sin and those we have caused harm, to gone we will have no remembrance of it and will never experience that sorrow again oh god's eternal presence and peace do you anticipate that today brothers and sisters can you imagine a world like that that is the that is what god has in store for us as his children and then notice verses 5 to 7 we see god assures his church of the fulfillment of his promise. In the first part of verse number five, he says, and, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Now God himself is speaking, uh, which reminds us really of his sovereignty. Speaking from the throne the throne of his sovereignty and of his majesty. And he's saying, and it's a literally a, a continuous action verb, I am continuously making all things new. 
This is similar to what God says in Isaiah 43, 19. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Nothing will be excluded. God says he's making all things new. It's a total makeover. He began making all things new, of course, in our lives when he made a new covenant through the blood of Christ. And, and then Jesus gave us, is, is promising to continue that process through our, throughout our salvation as he makes us more. He makes us, he's made us brand new creations in Christ. And as we said, ultimately when Christ comes again, we're going to receive a brand new glorified body after the resurrection. And again, this process will be complete when Jesus returns and we receive that glorified body like, like his. And he's making a new heaven and a new earth. In the second part there of, of uh, verse 5, uh, he continues, uh, and he says, write this down, for the words are trustworthy and true. Not one of God's promises has ever failed, brothers and sisters. Not one of them shall ever fail. And the Bible tells us having this hope in ourselves, 1 John 3, uh, 2 and 3 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we, we, um, excuse me, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has, who thus hopes in him, purifies himself as he is pure. Notice also in, in verse 6, the first part of verse 6, he's, he's, he says, and he said to me, it is done. It is done. Literally, it's plural also, they are done. It's a perfect tense verb, which means that the action is, is, uh, is completed, but the results are continuing. God is declaring that this work of the new creation will be complete at this point. He will have finished what he started. God has begun a good work in us, but he's going to continue it until he completes it as he promises us in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And he will have completed his work at this point. He goes on in the second part of verse 6 and says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. These are the same words that are used of the Lord Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. These, of course, affirm, as so much of the Word of God does, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we see in John 1, 1, when all things began, the Word who is God already was. One commentator, Mount, says that he is the source and the origin of all things. He is the end in the sense that he constitutes their goal or aim. Notice as he continues uh, in verse, the second part of verse 6, he says to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And this too is directed at believers. You know, the metaphor of spiritual thirst is one that is used throughout the Bible. The book of Isaiah certainly uses it. In Isaiah uh, 55, 1 and 2, similar, similar words are, are used here. Isaiah I won't have you turn there, but I'm going to read it. Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he, he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. 
Why do you spend your money for, well, for that which is, uh, is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in, yourselves in rich food. And again, we see in the New Testament, again, he uses this, this analogy. He offered the woman at the well living water. And of course, when she came to understand it by the work of the Spirit of God in her heart, bring her repentance and faith, she left her own water pot and went to tell others the, the, the transformation that had taken place in her life through meeting the one who is the living water. When we come to John chapter 7, the Lord Jesus at the Feast of, of Booze on the last day, Scripture tells us that He spoke there to them. And in John, John chapter 7, He spoke those words concerning the, the Holy Spirit. John 7, 37, He says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The Lord Jesus has made this promise to us. And this is, if you are a child of God today, if you repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, you know what Jesus has, has promised. You've experienced this through the, in, through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. But notice he says that this water is without payment. It's a gift of his grace. When we repent and trust in Christ as Lord. This satisfying water, the living water, was paid for through the precious blood of Jesus. I noticed something in the Teleos study in Revelation. Van Fleet said, uh, he said, I, I'm glad that our desire will continue in the new creation. I hadn't thought of that. But he said, this means that all the longings and desires to present in this present evil age will finally be satisfied and celebrated in Christ. That means we will no longer be trying to drink from the fountains or the wells that do not satisfy. We no longer, our, our flesh uh, draws us back to those old sources where we used to get our needs met. But we'll finally realize once and for all that Jesus truly is the source. He really is everything we need. He really is sufficient for all of our need. He, he quenches our thirst for all eternity. Notice again verse number 7. He says, The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. You'll notice something in Revelation 2 and 3 in each of the churches that are, that are addressed there by the Lord Jesus. He says to each one of them, to the one who conquers. The one who conquers or the one who overcomes. Who is he talking about? And of course, this is a reference really to the perseverance of the saints. We're, we're called, and, and as Hebrews tells us, that we are to challenge one another to persevere, to persevere. And we, we, we don't only believe in eternal security, which we do. We don't only believe in once saved, always saved, which we do. We believe in the perseverance of the saints. The saints will and do persevere. And that's what he's describing here. The one who conquers will have this heritage, this full inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And at this point, we, we are already. We've already received. We're joint heirs with Jesus. Amen. We read that this morning in Romans 8. We're joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. But at this point, we're going to be able to experience it fully and completely. You experienced it when you were born again, but here you're going to be able to fully appropriate it and enjoy it. And what is our inheritance? Our inheritance is that God is our Father. You know, the more I uh, speak with, with people, the more I realize that fathers are not perfect. Amen? I knew it. I mean, my father wasn't perfect, and I certainly am not a perfect father. None of us are. But praise God, our Heavenly Father is the perfect Father. And the Bible says that he, that I am his son. Now, ladies, you can say I'm his daughter, and you'll be right in doing so. But this is not so much a, a gender reference here, as, it, as it's one that is describing being a full heir in Christ. It's the beautiful picture of what happens when we're born again and when we're adopted fully into God's family, just like a slave could be adopted and that slave would become a full heir with one born in the same household, just as much a child. And the Bible says we are a full heir with Jesus. He is our father. God is our father and Jesus is our elder brother and we are a joint heir with him. Everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to us. We are, the Bible says, in the beloved. We're in the beloved one, Jesus. And what did God the Father say about Jesus? He said, this is my beloved Son in whom, with whom, I am well pleased. The Father is pleased with Jesus. And guess what? When you repented of sin and placed faith in Christ, God put you in Christ. The Bible says you are so in Him as a child of God. You are right now seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ. And if God accepts Jesus and He's pleased with Jesus and you're in Jesus, guess what? You're pleasing to Jesus too. You are fully accepted. You're as accepted to God the Father in Christ as He is. You don't earn that. You don't deserve that. Some days you don't feel that. But it's true. Amen? You're in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says when you're there, when you're in heaven, when you're in the presence of the Lord, when we're in this new heaven and the new earth, we're going to catch up with what's true. We're going to finally understand it and accept it and believe it and experience it in ways that we never have before. Paradise really is regained really is. But fourth, I want you to see in verse 8, and finally, God wants his, warns his enemies of their eternal fate in the lake of fire. Look at verse 8. We'll read it once again. 21 verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Perhaps that seems out of place. We're talking about the new heaven and the earth, new earth. Why do we need to throw in that reference to the lake of fire, this, this, this terrible place that's a real place? Just as real as, as heaven is real. The, the place called hell is real. But I remind you that God is once again, who's he addressing here? He's addressing his church. This letter was read these, to these churches. And, and this is to the people of God. So again, 
God is, is speaking to his churches. It's a reminder, certainly, of, of God's people of what we deserve. As one of my friends used to say, I ought to go to hell, but I'm not going to do it by the grace of God. And forever and ever and ever will continuously be amazed with the grace of God. Always. Knowing now as we do now that we should be in hell, but we won't be. By the grace of God. Because of what Jesus has done for us. It will be a reminder to us of who will not be present in the new heaven and the, in the new earth. And it certainly breaks our hearts and burdens us to think about our family, our neighbors, our co-workers, and all those around us who need the gospel, who are going to spend eternity in this terrible place forever and ever. But also being reminded that, that this letter was read to the church. And again, who, who are these people that he's naming here? They are the opposite of those who conquer. They're the opposite of those who persevere. Mount says that these are apostates who had renounced or given up their Christian faith. And do we not hear more and more all around us of apostates? Do we not have them in our own family? Have we not seen them in our own church? And he's exactly, that's exactly who he's addressing, no doubt, here in this verse. Dennis Johnson says, The list of sinners may describe those who under pressure of persecution denied the faith murderously betrayed their fellow Christians to the persecuting authorities and practiced sexual immorality and magic that went along with idolatry. Their inheritance is not in the pain-free new earth, but their part is in the lake of fire and brimstone. And I remind you of what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 22 and 23. He said, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then Jesus said, will I declare to them, I think the saddest words ever, that will ever be spoken, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And this is why the Spirit of God spoke through Paul in, in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, that he said, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Can you understand why in reading this, these churches going through such tremendous persecution and those who, as Jesus described in the parable of the soils, those who under persecution would, would fall away? Do you not understand a little bit more about why Jesus would say, blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of God? Understanding that persecution, though none of us today are signing up to go to Afghanistan, none of us are trying to go somewhere, none of us are asking for persecution, but do you understand why Jesus could say, and we can believe, Blessed are those who are persecuted. Because again, as we see, I believe greater persecution coming upon the church today. And I believe it will only continue. And, and again, it's a separation, if you will, of those who are genuine and those who are not. So dear friend, I want to just say to you today, examine yourself. Ask God today to examine your heart. You may have gone through that and you may have come to a place of settled assurance. Praise God for that. Most of us, especially those who are converted at a younger age, go through a period of time where we doubt, we struggle, we, we, God brings us to the place if, to either realize we weren't saved and we need to be, or that we were and God gives us a piece of settled assurance. And I just urge you today, examine yourself to be certain that you are in the faith and that the new heaven and the new earth truly will be 
your eternal destiny. If not, I pray that God will quicken your heart today, speak to your heart, bring you to repentance and faith and surrender to Jesus as Lord today. The new heaven and the new earth. When we think of heaven, we, we shouldn't primarily think about those gold streets, the gates of pearl, the other jewels that are used to describe this city, although those are wonderful. They pale in comparison to the one who is the center of heaven. And all throughout Revelation 21 and 22, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Heaven is more, most importantly about being in the presence of God in perfect fellowship, uninterrupted fellowship. Can you imagine? Just think about that for a moment. Uninterrupted fellowship. God allows us to go through some times like I'm sure you've had at camp this past week and even as we've experienced today when, when we, our eyes are focused on Jesus, we're thinking about him, we sense his presence. But then we have those other tough times when we, when we find ourselves, as the song says, prone to wonder, prone to leave the God I love. But, oh, friend, in this new heaven and new earth, we'll never be away from the presence of God again. Never again. We'll be in his presence and in his fellowship forever and ever. And then just for a moment, try to imagine. That's really all we can do. It's hard for us. But try to imagine a place without sin. Not only a place where sin is not done to you, where you're not being uh, mistreated or abused or spoken to harshly and experiencing unkindness, but in your own life. You're no longer also causing pain to others. Just think about a place without sin forever and ever and ever. That's this new heaven and new earth. As the third verse of there is a fountain express it, dear dying lamb or dear risen lamb, I would say, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransom church of God be saved to sin no more. Till all the ransom church of God be saved to sin no more. Can you anticipate that? Would you ask God to flood your heart with a vision of that? That place where we as his family are going to be forever and ever and ever. Jesus concludes John, John's words there with Revelation chapter 22 and verse 20. He says, He who testifies these things says... Surely I am coming soon. To which John responded, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Can you pray that prayer today? Is that your heart? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Look at Jesus today. And with John, hear Jesus say those words, Surely I am coming soon. I am coming quickly. And respond to him, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Would you bow together with me? As we close this morning in prayer, I'm just going to ask you to respond in whatever way the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart today.
Do you have this hope? Is this hope purifying you? That's what the Word of God says in 1 John, that having this hope of the Lord Jesus' return will do for us, knowing there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth where we'll be in His presence forever. Ask Him to set your eyes on Jesus this morning, to set your mind on Him, and to hope in Him until He comes. Cry out to Him from your heart. As the, as the Lord Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming soon. Respond to Him. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this wonderful truth that we've examined together, these truths concerning what you promised for us. And again, Lord, we thank you that in Christ we are already seated with you in the heavenly places in Christ. And one day we're going to catch up with where we are. When, Lord Jesus, you come again. And you fulfill these promises just as surely as you came the first time. You're coming again. And Lord Jesus, it could be today. It could be today. And I pray you will enable us, Lord, to pray with John. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. We believe you, Lord Jesus. We believe you're coming. Lord, in the meantime, if you should delay your coming, use us, Lord, to point others to Christ. Use us this week. Give us boldness to share the gospel. Give us, a, give us your heart for, the, for our unbelieving family and neighbors and co-workers and classmates and friends. And use us this week as heralds of the gospel, pointing people to our Savior. And Lord, even now, there are those in our midst described here in, in Revelation 21.8 whose hearts maybe are, uh, who are deceiving others and maybe even themselves are deceived. I pray you will open the eyes of their heart, enable them to see Jesus, enable them to see their own spiritual condition, enable them to repent and trust in Jesus and be saved. Lord, thank you for the opportunity we've had to worship with our brothers and sisters today. Continue to bless our worship together. In Jesus' name, amen.